Hello, hello. I'm Lauren Maxwell, and this is the audio version of We're All Friends Here, a weekly column for people asking life's big questions. Today, I am excited to read you the piece that was published on May 14th, 2022. I really like this one for some reason, and it seems like you all do too. So if you enjoy it, let me know. I would love to chat about your experience with heaven. This is called A Glimpse of Eternity. Let's get started. In January, my mother-in-law said something that stuck with me. My husband had just conducted a concert on short notice for the Greenville Symphony Orchestra. They called two weeks before the show, and without needing to think about it, he said yes. When we got the news, we celebrated briefly. Wide eyes, a hug, a walk. Then immediately positioned ourselves towards what we thought success looked like, which we defined on that walk. The music was difficult and uncommonly played, so he would need time and space to prepare. In the end, the concert was a triumph. The audience would not stop clapping. The music sprung to life. They were excited to have heard it. People seemed to enjoy themselves, which is important to John. A happy orchestra sounds better, he always says. And if you can't enjoy yourselves, what's the point? A week after the performance, I called John's mom to give her a full report. I said the musicians seemed to have fun working with John, which made him happy, and described why I perceive that to be the case, which has to do, in part, with rehearsal style and the way he prioritizes invitation and collaboration over giving commands. She listened and took in the news. Then she surprised me. Our eyes should always be on eternity, she said, seeming to switch gears. Time is a limited concept. It is not eternal. People don't get much chance to focus on eternity, and I think that is what happened. In rehearsal and in the music, everyone caught a glimpse of eternity. I paused. What more could I say to that? Every wisdom tradition offers a goal to its followers, a destination to hold in mind as they navigate the ups and downs of everyday life. Keeping an eye on the end game motivates them to attempt to overcome the condition of being human. They train their eyes on whatever promise of freedom calls to them from the other side. The Buddhist inches towards nirvana by seeking enlightenment. The yogi practices in hope of reaching kaivalya. The Hindu strives for moksha. The Christian trusts they will one day get to heaven. Despite differences in philosophy and approach, every tradition's endgame has one thing in common with the others— Each destination offers an ultimate and final liberation, a total freedom and release 
from the shackles of our humanity. They save us, to use a Christian term, and free us from our fixations, to reference Buddhism. In the Christian tradition, the words heaven and eternity are used interchangeably. The promise of salvation is eternal life, or being in God's presence forever, on those golden streets. Yet the word eternity is used so often, and contrasts our lived experience of time so defiantly, that we tend to lose touch with its meaning and magnitude. The word eternity has two definitions It can be used in an everyday sense to mean infinite, unending time, a concept that is hard for us to understand despite its simplicity, or it can be used in a theological sense to mean eternal life after death. I remember frequently trying to wrap my mind around the concept of eternity as a child. But maybe those two definitions, infinite time and heaven itself, are actually one and the same. As a kid growing up in the Southern Evangelical Church, I was frequently instructed to deny myself and, quote, take up my cross to follow Christ. It was clear that I was supposed to be excited about doing those things and, quote, surrendering myself to God with its promise of eternal life on the other side. But the idea of denying myself and turning away from the world, away from its intrigue and wonder and beauty, which I was discovering for the first time in those years, was not appealing. The surrender was presented as something unpleasant to bear, or a cross to carry. Denying yourself to reach God may be the fundamental work of Christianity, but in adulthood, I have come to believe that divinity is not separate from us at all. It is within us, around us, and beside us at all times. We, along with the butterflies and squirrels and lizards in my backyard, along with the people we do not understand and the ones we do, are divinity incarnate. If we are, to reference Carl Sagan, made of divine star stuff, then reaching heaven or freedom from our fixations, to put it another way, might be less of a struggle and more pleasurable than we are conditioned to believe. Maybe we do not have to deny the core of ourselves to get in touch with divine magic. Maybe we are divine magic, and our job is simply to recognize it. When I think about quote, denying the world on my own terms, rather than the terms that defined my childhood, I can get behind it. If I want to reach the well of divine love and wisdom within myself, for example, I must deny the world's definition of success, capitalism's demands for my time and attention, and the constructs society pushes on us every single day. Through that lens, Denying the world becomes a critical part of my journey towards freedom. Now I understand. Every time I honor myself by resisting the world's labels, its impossible grind, and its mainstream demands, 
I am dipping my toes into heaven. At the grocery store this week, having just started this essay, I picked up a magazine with Pema Children on the front and flipped serendipitously to a page highlighting a quote from her about enlightenment. Enlightenment, it said, isn't about reaching a destination or achieving something we don't have already. Heaven, I thought, translating immediately to the vernacular of my roots, isn't about reaching a destination or achieving something we don't have already. When I was promised heaven as a child, that gift on the other side of denying myself and taking up my cross, I imagined a joyful reunion with departed grandparents on streets literally glittering with gold and angels singing a transcendent chorus all around us. The whole thing felt far away and unreachable, like a fantasy. But if eternity is both infinite time and eternal life, and time is a construct we place on ourselves— Then pushing the limits of time as we know it aside, eternity is always happening right now, and we can always experience it. In a poem crafted intentionally without punctuation called Seven White Butterflies, Mary Oliver cited Blake and Whitman when she wrote that all eternity is in the moment. In that case, Eternity is not some faraway goal on the other side of death. It is present in the moment you are experiencing now. So if eternity is nowness and eternity is heaven, then heaven itself can be found in the fireflies appearing and frogs croaking and moon rising. We may catch a glimpse of eternity, as my mother-in-law suggested, in notes we rehearse or meals we share. It does not matter where we find it. Eternity is ours to see. Heaven is available now, and if you listen closely, you might hear the angels sing. to thank you again for listening and for sharing this space with me. It is truly one of the great honors of my life and such a delight. And I hope you're finding some joy and pleasure and ease out there despite whatever else may be going on. Take care out there. Thank you.